Hi, welcome. This is your CyberPath. Uh, we're the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job. And uh, I'm Kip Boyle, and here with me is Wes Schreiner. We're the co-hosts, and we're experienced hiring managers of cybersecurity professionals. And this is our third video podcast. You probably know we've been doing podcasts in 2020 audio only. So uh, now we're both audio and video. So if you want the audio version, go to anchor.fm and find us there or whatever podcast listener you like. And if you want to watch us on YouTube, our channel, you can search for it. It's called Your Cyber Path Podcast. And that's how you can get us there. So today's the third of a three-episode series about the way cybersecurity organizations are put together. And so uh, what we're going to look at today is, uh, well, I'll let, I'll let Wes tell you because uh, he put these slides together. They, they look fantastic. <laughs> so Wes, what, what, what's, this, what's the last part that we need to look at? It's going to be a good day today, Kip. Uh, we're going to cover the last part of a security organization. We're going to look at what is the budget what is the staffing model and what is the organizational model for that security organization? This is, I would say, a little more peripheral to the cybersecurity specialist finding a job, but I think there's some golden nuggets in here. And let's watch, where do we see large parts of the organization where there are large swaths of staff or large parts of your budget? Because that's where we're going to take some some fresh out of school folks and we're going to be able to use them really effectively. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you for making the connection. So uh, the folks watching can understand, you know, because I mean, let's face it, budget and staffing, not a very sexy topic at the first glance. So cool. (laughs) Let's dig into it. So Kip, I'm going to apologize now. This is early morning recording for us. We are recording on a Saturday morning before the sun comes up. And uh, those roosters, they are up and they are crowing. That's uh, right. That's right. Life on the farm. If you when can the hear some crow. songs in the background, you know the roosters are up and it's it's time to start your day. Man, maybe we should have a rooster crow as the uh, intro to uh, to our podcast. I don't know. We got, we got a podcast. We could call it Two Lonely Roosters and just, just go with it there. All right. Perfect. Uh, perfect. It's going to be a good day today. Let's jump in and see what we've got. Um, I want to start by reminding you. Oh. Where, where are we at? There we are. I want to start by reminding you that this is where we left off last week. This is right. very much the security organization. This is the four sub-organizations. This is the 15 uh, disciplines or senior manager roles. This is the 23 services of a common service security service catalog. And then this is the teams that you might find uh, uh, managed by, by line managers uh, right. inside your organization. Right, right. Now, I just want to remind everybody that the longest episode we've ever done was ever. the last episode. <laughs> I think it was like 55 minutes or almost an hour. And we drilled into, not in a great detail, but we looked at everything on the slide. So if you didn't see that episode, just go back one episode from the one you're watching right now, and you'll get a thorough tour of this slide right here. We're going to drill in deep in all of these in future episodes. But if you're just joining us, that's how you can learn this slide a little bit better. Check out 32 because that's going to give you a lot of the foundational background that's going to take us through the next couple, the next year of conversations. So let's jump. Oh my goodness, what is this? We've got a pie chart. That must mean something. 
Folks, this is a... It looks delicious. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a staffing swagger. This is, if I had a large organization, if I had, uh, uh, I'm going to say several hundred, couple hundred folks in my Fortune 100 security organization, this might be how I would apply my staff. Now let's look at how we read the graph. On the in, in the inside circle is the same organizational units. In that secondary circle is the same disciplines. And in that third circle is the same team names that we saw on the previous slide. It's simply sized by how many people might be assigned to that part of the organization. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, great. Thank you. So now we can see that the operations portion is about 40% of my cybersecurity organization in headcount staff. We can see that the security engineering and architecture and test is about 27%. GRC makes up about 16% of my staff and, and production, uh, product security is about 11%. I, I did leave 6% for your executive team just because you know they got to have admins and, and keep things running. Okay, cool. All right, that makes sense. Um, wow. So, so what I think we want to call out here is in operations, it's heavily, heavily weighted on your, your security operations center and on your keep the lights on operations. Both of those are 24-7 operations, and both of those are great places to get started in security. And if you love the third shift, man, you're, gonna, you're just going to do well. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, right? In architecture and test, you're probably heaviest in your IT project support space and in your testing areas, right? Uh, this is your chance to get started in testing. It might be in functional testing. It might be in pen testing. It might be in... Uh, 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 the, the internal threat hunting, right? Uh, that's your chance to get started in testing. Yep. You know, and some of your first jobs are probably, um, not going to be all that sophisticated. You're not going to have a lot of responsibilities yet, right? You're, you're going to, you know, you're going to support, right? You're going to help make sure that the people who are actually driving are going to be successful, right? So just moderate your expectations and, uh, and, you know, get in there and just be helpful. That's right. Uh, we don't say this. That's not my job. And we certainly say, how can I? How can I help? How can I make this better? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Even if that's a Starbucks run, <laughs> to be honest with you. Once in a while, it's not about it's not about the coffee you bring, <clears throat> but it's absolutely about how do we how do we add value, make this team better by yeah. being here. Yeah. Just serve, right? Just serve. Yeah, I think that's well said. Good. Uh, uh, what else do you want to say about this slide, Wes? Well, I want to tell you that the, the GRC uh, area uh, is 16% and it's heaviest in your project management office, right? We've got an army of PMs who are helping us deliver on the agenda and the priorities that we have in space today. Um, your security analytics is a smaller tool, so it may not be as much uh, the place to start, but do look at compliance. We talked about compliance in detail last week. Uh, compliance can take you in a lot of directions. That's a great place to get started. Risk can take you in a lot of directions. That's a great place to get started. Um, also look in your PMO because that's where you find some staffing. Okay. Uh, in Excellent. product security, it's heaviest in the services security space, right? This is a great transition job. This is the great kind of job that comes from an existing IT professional who wants to move over to uh, 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 product security specifically. I, I do want to call out uh, a couple of caveats in the chart, but but before we get to that, Product security at 11% is the biggest variable on this page, right? Variable uh, in what way? Well, if you're a Fortune 100 company, you might have a 200-person organization, and, and product security might be 11% of your security org. Or 
you might not have a security org at all. And your first security person is actually 90% product security, right? And Great so point. your security org for a smaller org might be 90% prod sec. And yeah, we cover some compliance, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so we get there and we're going to grow our organization. And I'm not saying this is the perfect picture, but this is a picture. And it's one that we think is probably verified and proved over time. And, and I would guess, Kip, I, I didn't do the math on this, but I think you and I together have been at a dozen different Fortune 100 companies in the last 15 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and they're all different. I mean, the details yeah. are different, right? And the business case to bring somebody in to support product security is just so much more clear and compelling when you're, when you, you know, when you're building this team out for the first time. So um, that, that makes a ton of sense. It does. And, and really, you're building a parallel function for everything inside cybersecurity for your external customer, right? Think about it as your internal customer is lowercase c, lowercase c customer. And then when you go outside to your external customer, that's the capital C customer. And if we, if we use that jargon along the way, you'll, you'll know what we're saying now. Perfect. So I, I do want to call out some of the assumptions, right? This is based on the ebb and flow of the investment priorities of the organization, right? It's based on the maturity curve of the organization. Uh, if we've got more automation, it means we have less manual staff and, and it, it begets a focus on even more, more automation so that we can really accelerate what we're doing as a business, uh, a security business supporting our organizational business. It depends on where the organization's priorities are for investment, especially the product security space. Um, what about government and industry regulations? If you're in an, in an industry that has a lot more regulations, your compliance is gonna be a little bit bigger. Not gonna lie on that one. I know that SOX was a doozy for at least five years. Everything was manual and we were pulling user lists from every part of the company, uh, users and privileged users, right? When, when the California CCPA privacy hit, uh, that, that knocked out some companies pretty hard in 2019 and 2020 uh, because we had to really redefine how are we doing business? And we had to do that. Uh, so the, the marketplace is also gonna determine how we, how we prioritize in our investments. Definitely. And I just want to take a moment to, to comment on the fact that, um, you know, viewers who are trying to get into cybersecurity, your, your, your heads are full of like security plus certifications and, you know, how do I use a vulnerability scanner and, and you know, things like that, right? These hard skills. And notice that we haven't talked about hard skills at all yet, right? <laughs> We're talking about business cases and budgets and government and industry regulations and organizational maturity. And I just want to point out to you that this is the typical stomping ground, right? For a hiring manager, like these are the things that are on our radar screen. So if you think we're distracted and not paying attention to you, well, here you go. <laughs> Here's nope. a glimpse at what might be distracting us. Those hard skills are table stakes. They better appear on your resume and you better be able to defend them when we talk about it in the interview. But if we have to spend more than five or 10 minutes on it on the interview, uh, we didn't do well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, what else about the staffing allocation or have you, uh, have well, you gone through it all? So this is kind of the model of how we might see staffing allocated inside our organization. The bigger places are where we might find some startup roles and there's a lot of transfer opportunities as well. Uh, again, this is not gospel. This is just uh, our opinion. Let's jump to the next model, which is really uh, your non-staff budget. This might be a healthy budgetary allocation of non-staff dollars. Now, this is the same type of chart. Uh, blue is still your operations. Gray is still your governance. Orange is still your engineering, architecture, and test. 
uh, and, and product security is still that yellow. I, I want to compliment you on the visualizations of <laughs> on these two slides. I mean, I'm a very visual person. And, um, and so line after line after line of technical, of technical detail, it gets tedious and, and I, I fuzz out after a while, but I love to explore the visualizations. And so that's just me. Um, so I, I just think this is great. Thank you. Happy to, man. This is fun for me. So if we take this picture and we understand, uh, and I realize the font size is small, so you're not going to be able to see it in, in, uh, on the screen here, but download the PDFs and you'll be able to get all of the detail in all of its glory. But uh, what I do want to call out here is um, our operations was 40% of our staff. Well, it's also 40% of our, 45% of our non-staff dollars. Uh, now that's both OPEX and CAPEX. Let's talk about OPEX and CAPEX. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then also, I want to clarify what non-staff dollars means. It, it just means money that's allocated, but that doesn't go to compensation, right? Doesn't go to salary, doesn't go to, right, any of the costs right. of, of convincing people that there's going to be paychecks and, and benefits. <laughs> right. This is all the things about, I want to pay a firewall company to sell me their firewalls. And then I want to pay the ongoing annual maintenance contract in order to keep those firewalls operating. And then I want to upgrade another point release next year. And I need a professional services team to come in and help me do that upgrade. Right, right. right. What so, about staff training? Is staff training included in this area here? Uh, or would you include shoot, that, that in the staff? That is such staff? a small part of the budget. It did, yeah. not, did not hit my radar as to which one it's going to land under. Okay, well, that's, that's fine. But it also makes a point, which is that um, you know, we, need, we need to train our folks. And, um, and, and, and a $3,000... You know, tuition fee might seem like a lot. You know, when when you first join, right? You're like, oh my gosh, that's so much money. But in the big scheme of things, Wes just said it. It's like in the big scheme of things, like three thousand dollars is actually going to create a lot of value if you go to school and get smart. This is based on a hundred and fifty or two hundred million dollar budget. So a three thousand dollar tuition is not even a point in the percentage. Yep, and that's why it didn't even make it into the diagram. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, if operations is going to be 45% of our organizational size uh, for, for non-staff dollars, um, where's that money going? Half of that is going to be your internal and external, external security tools budget for upgrades and renewals. It's going to be your single sign-on, your antivirus, your firewalls, your tokenization. What other tools might we uh, spend money on? Uh, anytime you talk to a security organization and you look at their stack of tools, you see that uh, in most cases, forgive me for being a, a, a negative Nelly here, uh, somebody ran free with dad's credit card. <laughs> right. There are, are you 20... talking about shelfware? <laughs> yeah, I'm very much talking about shelfware. I'm talking about uh, more, more tools than we know what to do with, and they're not deployed fully, and they're not deployed fully across the organization. So if let's, let's say, for example, I've deployed 50% of this, of this tool's functionality, and I've only deployed it in 30% of my organization, uh, specifically my e-commerce space, right? Multiply that. I paid for that tool to be 100% deployed across my organization. And if I'm 50% times 30%, I have 15% of my return on investment for the money I spent, right? And that is very much uh, what we see sometimes in security organizations, especially with secondary tools. And that's why I'm such an advocate for let's let's consolidate our tool stack. Let's build it in a way that we can uh, deploy it, maintain yeah. it and use it. Yeah. And you know, you're prompting me to think about 
all kinds of things such as, you know, there's a big philosophical, um, uh, you know, train of thought about do you, do you buy best of breed products and integrate them yourself? Or do you buy pre-integrated products that have multiple, you know, functionalities all showing up in the, in the same user interface? Um, I don't think there's any obvious uh, way, way to go with this, but I, I do, I do see a lot of conversation about, you know, what's the best choice. Well, and here's some career advice. In your first year at your new job, do not walk in and say, what's this tool doing here? It's not being useful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's like saying, you know, hey, I'm glad to come visit you. Oh, what an ugly dog you have. (laughs) Yeah. I did not hire a pointer, right? A person who comes in and points at things and says, that's broken and that's broken and that's broken. No, that's, that's not, not the way they hired. taught us how to do it in school. No, <laughs> no. Instead, I do want you to make a list for yourself, right? I want you to make a list of the 30 things you find that are atrocious and, and abominations to, to organizational uh, success, right? And then after you have your list of 30, I want you to winnow it down uh, and you have to have been there a couple months. Now you've been there 90 days and you've got a list of 30. Winnow it down to the three things that actually are business case reasons for why I need to, to make a change. And then approach your manager and have a one-on-one conversation that says, hey, I found this thing and I'd really like to work on it uh, in my spare time when I'm, when I'm learning the other job still. Is that something I can take a run towards? And you're, yeah. you're probably going to get a much more positive response with that. Yeah, show up with curiosity and show up with an, with an attitude of helpfulness. You still might get shut down. <laughs> that <right>? curiosity, so. <laughs> there's a reason it was built the way it was right? Somebody somewhere who's probably still sitting in the chair made the decision to build it the way we built it. And you don't want to go sideways with that person in the first week. Oh my God. Relationships are so important, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Keep your relationships in good repair. It's going to take you a year to fix the thing. It's going to take you five years to fix the relationship. If it can even be fixed. I mean, I got to tell you, I've been in situations where either I was in a, you know, sideways with somebody And the relationship had descended into uh, depths that just, you know, there was no coming back from. And, um, and, and that is just not a good place to be. Sometimes relationships are irreparable and um, boy, just avoid that. And let me just say this uh, on relationships because, Hey, we're looking at a slide about non-staff dollars and budget. (laughs) Let's say about relationships. We are an organization of influence. We do not own production. We do not own the business. We don't own service to our customer. We own supporting our business, supporting our technology. And and so our business is trading in ideas, trading in information, trading in thought leadership, and trading in influence. And if we are unable to influence our technology and business teams, we're going to be useless to our CEO. That's right. And then the budget, or I should say the business case for us even existing starts to get thin. So I did one audit of one company when I I swooped in as as a white shoe consultant and the CIO, I swear, he said to us, "Um, I want to fire all of them and hire an anti-phishing campaign and call it done. (laughs) Come on, man. That's not the best approach. (laughs) So we've got to figure out how our CIO and CEO can become our biggest sponsors and biggest advocates and supporters. Okay, right. I'm sorry. I completely took over the train but of thought. How fun was that, though, Kip? That went was off it. on a spur. All right, well, let's let's get centered again, right? Let's get recentered. So, non-staff budget allocation estimates. What else? What else do we want to so, say about this? So, the rest of shared services offerings is 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 the money's going to go towards VPNs or encryptions or as a services. Um, that's going to be your continuous automation stuff, right? We go to engineering, architect, 
architecture and test, and that's going to be 18% of your budget. Uh, rough swag, 18%. The majority of that goes to security testing school tools and scanners, right? Those are table stakes for being able to operate those, uh, those tools. You've got to have them in your environment. So uh, it's a little bit gray as to who pays for which items. Uh, does the vulnerability scanning team own the vulnerability scanner and have the budget for the vuln scanner? Or does the security tools team own that vulnerability scanner and run it? And in this case, because the vuln scanning team is sponsoring the tool, they're the ones that bring the budget. The security tools team will continue to own and operate it for them. That's the common way to do this. All right. Uh, governance risk and compliance is 20%. What do you mean? How could it possibly be 20%? It's just governance risk and compliance. Because half of that budget goes to the risk team to prioritize and support risk remediations, right? How many times do we find a bugaboo in our technology team that absolutely has to be fixed, but nobody has the $1 million it takes to fix it? And $1 million is a drop in the bucket for what our organization spends every day, every year. But for some reason, nobody can find the $1 million it takes to fix this. Well, if the risk team can produce the $1 million, now we've called their bluff, and now it's time to make that happen. And so we do want to give our risk team arguably 10% of our overall security budget for the purpose of remediation activities across the organization. Got it. Got it. That makes All sense. Right. So product security gets 17% of the budget. And that's really because they're building a parallel organization for our enterprise big C customers. All right. So that takes us to the end of staffing and budget. Uh, now we've got to look at the next tricky piece. Mm -hmm. Who does security report to? <laughs> okay, so this is this is good and provides fuel for a lot of uh, after work conversations <laughs> and uh, and 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 other uh, way more serious conversations too. Um, this this subject has uh, actually cropped up for me um, as part of a of a uh, of a legal case that that I was actually brought in to work on. So some of this can get really serious. So I think the key message here is at the top, right? The organizational formal reporting structure can be designed to emphasize specific relationships to influence how groups work together within the organization, right? Uh, this is very much your business organizational theory. I just finished a master's in cybersecurity and leadership, and I'm not going to lie. One of the things we emphasized was how do we have continuity inside our organization to meet our mission that is stated outside our organization? When we have that continuity, uh, our organization is going to be built to be more efficient and more effective. So let's take a look at each of these examples. I'm not going to drain them here. Don't worry about trying to read the whole slide here. We're going to we're going to go into a little more detail next. Here you've got uh, the one the first example on the left is almost entirely linear. We're calling it linear consolidated. As you can see, all security security functions roll up to the CISO, who reports to the CIO, who reports to the CEO. This can be really useful for ensuring alignment between security, technology, and risk items. This is a common model, especially in smaller organizations where it's clear I've got a, a linear progression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even in larger ones, I've seen very large, sprawling enterprises uh, with this particular uh, reporting structure. And I want to call out on this org picture, you can see CEO, CIO, CISO reporting directly to one another. But then do you see how the line is on the left-hand side for security operations, art, engineering, GRC, and product security? That means that those are peers. Uh, those four are peers to each other. I just want you to understand how to read the chart so that we can run with it. Good point. Thank All right. you for 
So now we're looking at number two, the elevated CISO, right? That CISO is now stepped up peers with the CIO. It's useful for security autonomy. If you want to be able to report to your CEO and, and, and say the CIO is not doing good things, then this is a really effective model for that, right? Yeah. It also could make it really difficult for security and technology to work together. Yeah, that's the thing about each of these four models is that there are pros and cons to each. Very and, so. you know, it, it really depends on the situation as to which one's optimized for you. And that could change over time. You could go for 10 years in a linear consolidated uh, model, but then find that things aren't working very well. And there's some conflict in terms of prioritization. And you may need to switch over to the elevated CISO model for 10 years or so um, in order to clear out that, uh, you know, that conflict, that clash. You know, and that's that's probably a good comment is uh, you use the model to accomplish the goal. The model is not the goal, right? Right, right. I believe this number two is the one that's advocated for by ISC squared. I, I'm not sure I advocate for it, but but this is what ISC2 uh, says is the model that must be in place. Well, and I, and I don't know that they're saying that this is a the model for the ages, but as I look around these days, I think more organizations should be considering this model because a lot of them are conflicted, I think. And with the and why are they conflicted? Because the linear consolidated model, I think, reflects old thinking about um, how how big of a risk cyber really is. And that and that by putting it into the technology area, you're kind of saying it's well, it's it's just kind of a technology problem really and certainly that's the history but it's it's not where we're at anymore and i don't think it's where it's, we're going to be going forward it's just a little comment from kim well and this number two means there's no mixed message because the CISO has direct access to the highest levels of the organization right all right let's jump to number three and see what number three has for us the third diagram returns the CISO under the cio but it distributes the product security function to the product realization teams there's value in this because we can both retain the security risk and technology alignment and build security into the products from inside the product organization. If I had an opinion, I'd, I'd probably prefer this model. Uh, it's really useful for aligning uh, product security to the product teams. Uh, yeah. And I, I find that pretty high value, right? Well, and so, then the con here, right, is, is you know, product security... Um, you know, could end up pursuing their own agenda and not being well aligned with the rest of the security organization. That's true. I'm also going to put a philosophy out there that the person closest to the uh, to the floor, uh, closest. Uh, I'm sorry, the person closest to the job gets to choose the tools, right? So the person who's going to be sweeping the floor gets to choose which broom they're going to use to sweep the floor. Yep. And in the yep. same, and way, I don't have a problem with that. I'm convinced that if we delegate and give authority to that product security team to work within the product team to deliver better results, they're going to choose the best room for the job and they're going to be really effective. If they find they're getting stomped by feature priority instead of security feature priority, then we may want to pull them back and use, use a little more voice behind that uh, to get those security features driven into the product. All right. Okay. That fourth diagram is similar to the third, but it moves security, governance, risk, and compliance function out from under the security umbrella. That's your distributed alignment model, right? Uh, it could go two ways from here, to the enterprise risk function, so that there's alignment between cyber risk and enterprise risk, or to the legal organization, so there's alignment with regulatory and compliance initiatives. 
I'm not a fan of this model. It separates things in an odd way. I've seen uh, large white shoe organizations make recommendations to Fortune 100 companies to make this split and do that kind of hard work of security. Uh, again, I'm not a fan of it. The risk organization from a risk-driven security function, the security governance from the actual security organization, these are odd. The cyber risk and cyber compliance should be with the technology organization, in my opinion, if we're going to have a risk-driven security organization. Okay. Okay. I don't have a big opinion about number four. I've, I've been a part of a organization that was organized according to model number four. Uh, and there were times where, when it was, uh, you know, awkward and goofy to try to get something done. Cause I had to work across two other silos that just thought about the world differently. And I say, let's, uh, let's roll with it because, uh, I can work in any of these four organizations. Uh, the organization does not define who we are. Uh, it define it's a means to our goal, right? Yeah, and that yeah, brings yeah. us to number four, right? The, the four pictures come back together and we say, there's no right or wrong organizational model. Everyone highlights different benefits and has its own drawbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, Wes, uh, for those uh, in the audience who don't really know, what's a white shoe firm? You've said that a couple of times. What is that? Well, so you've got big four consulting firms. Those are the four that do the primary auditing and assurance for uh, America, right? Uh, they do it for every major organization in the country. Um, and those four, uh, what would they be? They would be uh, a Capgemini or a Arthur, uh, Arthur, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Deloitte Your Consulting. Your age is showing. Tuck it in. A Price Waterhouse Cooper. Um, uh, KPMG. KPMG, KPMG okay. makes the list. Uh, and those are uh, the, the ones that you might hear uh, if there's a lottery, right? And and someone has to certify the results of the lottery. Uh, right. That's going to be the organization that's going to do that. Got it. Okay, cool. Just want to make sure we didn't leave anybody behind on the jargon. It's it's a good conversation. You know, we didn't cover OPEX and CAPEX either, right? OPEX is your operational expense. CAPEX is your capital expense. Capital expense is something that you do... Uh, uh, if you're buying new or creating or adding value to your company, operational expenses, once I bought it in the first year, now I've got to operate it. And, and there's an operational ongoing expense to keep it alive and keep yeah, it running. And that's going to be yeah. both your, your, your uh, money spent on the tool maintenance and your money spent on staff to keep it going. And there's a, what I think is an inordinate amount of conversation about OpEx versus CapEx. <laughs> so don't be surprised <laughs> if, you, if you hear a lot of people talking about it. But for now, uh, thanks for joining us. I, I think that brings us to the, oh, yeah, to the final thoughts. We're here. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so the key takeaways, right? What are they? Cybersecurity is hard. It's complex. There's a lot of moving pieces. And in a large organization, you're looking at a, a, a staff count of 200 and a, and a, a potential budget of $150, $200 million. Uh, on the flip side, you could be doing it all by yourself and you could own product security 90% of the time. And both are okay. Both are part of how we grow security at our organization. So uh, understanding the, the dynamics of security across the small company, the mid-market, and the large company, it's going to help you find your dream set. As you, as you dig in and find what's going on in there, you're going to find yourself. And when you find yourself, you found your dream cybersecurity job. Yeah, that's great. Okay. And so next week, uh, next episode, we're going to do a deep dive, right? We're going to start really going through 
the organization one, was it one team at a time, right? One service at a time? I think we're going to start at organizational units. And the next four okay. episodes are going to be the four organizational units. And we're going to bring some guest speakers in who are going to really take us. They, they've spent their career in that organizational unit. And they're going to take us deep into what they do and how do they do it and why it's fun. Ah, oh, I can't wait. And Brad's up first, right? Uh, that's, that's the plan. I'm looking forward All to right. it. We'll see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, so fantastic. Thanks, Wes. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you like our podcast, we put together a free guide in, and, and we want you to have it. Now it's called Play to Win, Getting Your Dream Cybersecurity Job. And because we now have visuals, uh, I asked Wes, could we please show of you course. guys a part of what this guide looks like? So on the screen there, you can actually see pages six and seven. Um, well, you know, you can kind of get an idea of what's going on there, right? But pages six and seven tells you how to overcome blocker number one, which is you don't know the title of the job that, that you're going after. You know, you kind of have a sense for what you want to do, but you don't know the actual title or maybe a couple of different titles that it could be. And that's a really important thing to know. It's going to really help you be successful if you know the job by title. And uh, yeah, so anyway, this part of the, of the free guide uh, t- tells you not only uh, that you need that, but how to find out what those titles are. Anyway, it's just one of the four blockers that it talks about. If you want this, it's yours for free. Go to yourcyberpath.com forward slash PDF. And, uh, and download it for yourself. We'd love for you to have it. We'd love to know what you think about it, if it's helpful, if it's missing anything, I want to know. So, uh, all right. So until next time, remember, you're just one path away from your dream cybersecurity job. See you later. See you.